Hey, I'm Teresa from Rutland, Vermont. Hi, this is Jen Small from Chicago. I'm Dan from Alexandria, Virginia. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. Thanks. Hey, I'm Jesse Thorne. So normally you'd be hearing Bullseye right now. That's my show. But we're breaking format this week for a very special presentation. If you know John Hodgman, it's probably from his appearances as the deranged millionaire or the resident expert on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, or maybe from his books of world knowledge, or I guess is the PC from those Mac versus PC ads. But what you might not know about John Hodgman is that he's also a fake judge on the Internet. On Judge John Hodgman, he hears disputes from real people all over the world, mostly via Skype, and he tells them who's right and who's wrong. And I, Jesse Thorne, am the bailiff. Today, you'll hear two Judge John Hodgman cases. In The Right to Remain Silent, a dad wants to order his shy daughter to be more outgoing. I kind of had to push her forward, and when she saw Eugene, she kind of put her fist up in front of her face like he was going to hit her, and he was very nice to her, and then I forced her to shake his hand. In My Legal Pony, two animal-loving friends spar over ill-mannered ponies. He's difficult to handle, but he's getting better. So the more time I spend with him, the better he'll be, and then he might not be the worst pony. That case also has some fainting goats in it. So, so just give me a second to clip on my bailiff badge. There we go, let's do this. Our first case, the right to remain silent. Sophie brings the case against her dad, Chris. Chris wants Sophie to get over her shyness and show more confidence in her public speaking and interactions with others. He thinks that she should dive headfirst into the situations that make her uncomfortable, and he's ready to give her a little push. Sophie says she's making progress in her own way and doesn't need any pushing from her dad. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. Bailiff Jesse, swear them in. Please raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, or whatever? I do. I do. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that he himself is so not shy that an 11th habit of highly effective people is be as not shy as Judge John Hodgman? I do. I do. Very well. Judge Hodgman? Sophie, Chris, you may be seated. This is a rare case of juvenile court of Judge John Hodgman. I normally do not hear cases involving persons under the age of 18 um, because they have no rights under internet law. But in this case, Chris made such a case on behalf of helping his daughter to be less shy and using my podcast to humiliate her into doing it that I had to hear the case. Chris, what is the problem with your daughter? I don't know if it, I care. Well, I guess it is a problem. Otherwise, I wouldn't bring it here. Um, the, the problem is she is too shy. She's afraid to um, put herself out there. And I guess the reason it comes to a head now is because um, she'll be going to a new high school next year without um, any of the friends that she has currently. And she's going to need the social skills to sort of get involved in activities to make new friends and do those kinds of things. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. Sophie, how old are you? I'm going to be 14 this weekend. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. And so you're starting high school next year. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Or are you starting a new high school? Your father said you were starting, starting a new high school. 
I'm starting high school next year. Your father doesn't know even what grade you're in, basically. <laughs> is that so? Is that accurate to say? No, it's not. All right. Look, Chris, I'm talking to your daughter here, first of all, with your permission, and I'm being nice. Let me just say, she's answering my questions in full, complete sentences. She uh, seems to be completely able to have a conversation. She doesn't seem too shy to me. How does this shyness, this crippling shyness, manifest itself? In any number of ways. I mean, I can give you the example of recently we went to, as a Father's Day present, Sophie bought me tickets to your show actually in Madison. Uh-huh. And um, uh, I think at one point during the show, um, it was mentioned if there are any children there or anyone under 18. Yeah. And um, I raised my hand and, and was going to encourage Sophie to participate in your show. Um, but she would not do that. And I dare say you made the right decision, didn't you, Sophie? <laughs> because what did I do? Um, well, what happened is you brought a couple of kids on stage and um, you asked them if your jokes were relevant. And that was the bit. Yeah, and that was the bit. <laughs> and we all had a good time humiliating those children on stage. <laughs> and I dare say the children had a good time as well. Mm-hmm. Do you regret not getting up on stage when asked if there was uh, yes. anyone, uh, if there are any young people there? I do, yeah. You do regret it. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know that that is not an argument for your side of the story. You are bolstering your father's argument. Yeah. Chris, do you have any other evidence to suggest uh, that well, she is um, too shy? Th- th- the following day, we went to, I think it's called the Milwaukee Market. and The um, Milwaukee Public Market. Yeah, Milwaukee Public Market. The favorite and, uh, public market of Eugene Merman, who was appearing on that exactly. show with me. Yes. And it so happened that my wife was downstairs ordering me a burrito, and she saw Eugene and texted us. We were upstairs um, at some tables uh, um, just chatting, and Sophie got very excited that Eugene was there, so um, we decided to go downstairs and, and introduce Sophie to him or introduce ourselves. And uh, when we did that, it was the most, I've never seen a person react like this before in my life. Sophie, um, I kind of had to push her forward. And when she saw Eugene, she kind of put her fist up in front of her face like he was going to hit her. And he was very nice to her. And then I forced her to shake his hand. Sophie, is what your father's saying is true? Uh, Yeah. Did your father shove you? (laughs) Yeah. Did he shove you in the direction of Eugene Merman? And that was understandably terrifying, wasn't it? Yes. What were you afraid would happen if you had spoken to Eugene Merman? Um, I'm not sure, actually. I guess I'm just scared of um, making a fool out of myself. Well, let's find oh. out, if you will, because we have Eugene <laughs> Merman on the line now. Eugene, are you here? <laughs> yes, I am here. Hello, everyone uh, in the podcast listening audience. This is uh, my friend, and one of my, I wouldn't even say peer in comedy, one of my mentors in comedy, Eugene Merman, with whom I was Hello. touring with Kristen Shaw not long ago when these very events went down. Hello, Eugene. Hello, John. I remember these events quite well. So how would you describe them from your point of view? Well, from my point of view, I never knew that there was a mother who sent a text. We, so. we often don't. No, we often in don't. Life, um, yeah. As far as I knew, at the time, it seemed like an overbearing father was trying to make sure his daughter met me. But um, 
I mean, basically two people, one of which was father-daughter, seemed to want to say hello. The daughter seemed to be terrified of, uh, you know, the idea of interacting with someone who's a voice actor. <laughs> um, it seemed very fine. We eventually shook hands. Uh, it also didn't seem like she had to say hello to me. But now that I realize she would have liked to and was terrified of it, uh, it seems like it would be fine to say hello. But either way, I just thought it was uh, a lovely family uh, going through issues of greeting people from television. As an expert witness in this case, Eugene, would you say that this was a situation where a young person wanted to say hi to one of her idols and was a little bit shy about it, and her father was encouraging her to step out of her own comfort zone and, and actually do the thing that she wanted to do? Or would you say it was a situation where a creep of a father really wanted to interact with someone from television and was using his daughter's quote-unquote shyness as an excuse to uh, harass a guy who had just done a show and wanted to buy some food in a market. Exactly. It was at the time unclear whether the daughter wanted to say hello or whether the father just wanted to cut off a piece of my hair and have it as a story. Um, it seemed vaguely like he was trying to help her, but it also seemed like she was so not excited about the help that it, I couldn't decide. Eugene, is there anything that Sophie could have done uh, that would have led you to conclude that she was an idiot, a dum-dum, a humiliated person, just an embarrassing waste of human space? I guess if she had started, like, tried to pick a fight, <laughs> well, like a physical yeah. altercation, I would yeah. have been like, this is a very weird uh, teen. Yeah, that's true. Thought. There was that... I remember in Royal Oak, Michigan, there was that 13-year-old girl who just started yelling obscenities at you and then, yeah. started, and then tried punching you in the stomach a couple of times. And on balance, yeah, she, she looked pretty bad coming out of that yeah. one. Thank God for my karate training. I would say offhand there is nothing that a young lady could do that would make me think, what a terrible young lady. <laughs> young lady? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now that you have Eugene Merman on the line, um, how, how would you describe your feeling right now? Um, a little starstruck? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite Eugene Merman project? How do you know Eugene from... Um, Bob's Burgers. From Bob's Burgers, yeah. on which mm -hmm. he plays the character Eugene. Mm-hmm. And did you enjoy Eugene Merman's comedy performance in Milwaukee? What was your favorite part? I think um, when he read the letters he sent on Facebook, that was my favorite part. Now, it's obviously very easy for you to speak to me because I'm nothing. I'm a nobody, and my work doesn't matter to you. But Eugene is someone whose work matters to you. You have an opportunity to say, I like the thing you do. Would you like to do that now? Um. <laughs> okay. Okay. Do I go? Yeah, just say, hey, Eugene, it's me, Sophie. I'm a cool kid. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sophie, and I think you're funny. Thank you, Sophie. You seem you're like welcome. a wonderful, normal person. Thank you. Great. You're very welcome. 
Hey, I'm Jesse Thorne. You'd usually be hearing Bullseye right now, but this is our Judge John Hodgman special. I serve as bailiff under the honorable fake internet judge John Hodgman. This is the case of the right to remain silent. Sophie, a shy teenager, has filed suit against her pushy dad. Now, Chris, why was I able to help your daughter and you were not? <laughs> I, I'm, I, you have a skill set that I don't possess, apparently. You're, you have a way with people. When this case was submitted to me, this is what you wrote. My frustration results in me begging, bribing, or yelling to get Sophie to try new things. She is shy, and I want her to try things like reading her poetry at the monthly coffee house at the college where I work. Do you really yell at Sophie to get her to try new things? I, I don't think so, but I've been told by Sophie that I yell at her. So I was trying to give her a side of the story in that I don't yell. I'm very polite and soft-spoken. <laughs> Sophie, do you care to differ with your father? When I met Eugene, I don't think anybody saw it, but I started crying because my dad was scaring me so much. So, oh. yeah, he... <laughs> Not true. Yes, it is. Well, it is true that she cried, but... It... I... Okay. Show me on Eugene how your dad scared you. <laughs> <laughs> Why did your dad scare you? Um, he just kept pushing me forward, and he kept saying, he's trying to shake your hand, shake his hand, <laughs> shake his hand. Um, yeah. And you started to cry. A little bit. How, how would you have liked that interaction to go differently? Here are some of the options. I would have liked it to not happen at all. I would have liked my dad to take some time and just let me get comfortable standing in front of Eugene Merman, even if that took 35 to 45 minutes while Eugene stood there waiting for me. Uh, I would have liked my dad to push me harder until I was forced to hug Eugene Merman. How would you have liked it to gone? Oh, probably the second one. I don't think it would have taken quite that long, but I would have preferred not to be pushed towards anyone. I think that's a fairly reasonable request. Do you want to be less shy, Sophie? Yeah. Do you agree with the premise that you are shy? Mm-hmm. Do you want to go and read poetry in the coffee house at the college where your father works? No. Of course not. No one does. Sorry, sir. <laughs> That's it. I agree strongly. I just, when I read that that was one of the goals, I don't want to read poetry there, and I'm 39. Chris, tell me about this coffee house. How much money are you going to get from the coffee house if you get your daughter to read poetry there? I'm not going to get any money, but the reason that I would like her to do that is because she enjoys poetry. She talks about it a lot. She spends a lot of time writing poetry, and um, she's been published a couple times in some magazines, and um, I think it would be a good experience to see that when she shares her feelings and shares her work that people are going to respond positively to it. How often is it that a 13- or a 14-year-old will come to the coffee house and read her poetry? It's probably not that common, but the coffee house is open to members of the community. So we have 
people of all ages that come. In general, it tends to be students that are enrolled in a creative writing class or some other arts class. Yeah, you think it might be college-age students who would come to it, right? Well, Why would you say it's not that common? Would you say it has anything to do with the fact that it would be weird and a little ridiculous? (laughs) No, I wouldn't say that at all. Hmm. Sophie, is your father making you wear a beret and a black turtleneck and drink red wine a lot? (laughs) No. Do you think that talking, is there anyone else that you would like to meet that I can get on the phone right now? No, that's okay. Who else are your favorites, though? I do like Kristen Shaw a lot. I like Zach Galifianakis as well. Guess what? Yeah. Guess who's on the line? No. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hear that? Kristen Shaw and Zach Galifianakis are right here now wearing matching black turtlenecks. No, it's not true. (laughs) It's just me and Eugene still. Eugene? Yes. I'd love to talk to Zach. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First of all, Eugene, thank you again for introducing me to the Milwaukee Public Market. Yes, Which, a lovely market. It was really terrific, and we had been there right before our show, and I gather this happened the next day. Is that correct? This in- yeah, I decided to go uh, in the morning and walk around. Got some great spices. Uh, had a lot of fun. Now, when you're walking around the market of a morning just buying some spices, mm-hmm. uh, how do you feel about being approached? Just so Sophie understands what the limits are and, and what your real feeling is. How do you feel about being approached by people saying, I like what you do? I find uh, that it's totally fine, especially if it doesn't involve a long, weird story. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, also in this instance, sounds like Chris could have just talked to me for a minute or so until Sophie felt comfortable and then kind of been like, this is Sophie, as opposed to starting it off with Sophie and then pushing her. So that's just one way that I would interact in the future when you guys run into... Kristen or, or John Benjamin at the market next time. Sophie, does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Chris, what would you have me order if I were to find in your favor? Um, I would like to be able to sort of compel Sophie to engage in certain activities um, when I request it um, to help her. And really, it's altruistic. I only want to help her overcome her shyness. So I guess the first thing that I would ask is that Despite your characterization of it being weird, I think it would be good for her to uh, read poetry at the coffee house. You would like it's only to, like three to five minutes. You would like me specifically to compel her to read some of her poetry at the coffee house. I think that would be, yeah. So, and then in the future, I'd like to be able to say, Sophie, try this and, and not have to push her to, to do it. I think that push was out of a sense of frustration. Sophie, what would you like me to order your dad to do? Should I find in your favor? I'd like to be able to pick the new things that I try rather than just being told, I want you to try this. But what if you don't try anything? Hmm. Can you give me some counter evidence to your father's assertion that you don't try anything without him physically shoving you into it that would suggest there are things you do try? This podcast, he didn't... um, I was willing to do this. I thought it would be fun. I was scared. But right. You're not strapped into a chair at this time. You're not being compelled <laughs> no. to speak into the microphone. All right. No. I think I've heard everything I need to hear. Eugene, would you please shove me into my chambers so that I can <laughs> deliberate and then uh, I will come back yeah. and uh, with. Ah, okay, Eugene. 
All right, I'm going in already. I'll be back with my decision in a moment. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Sophie, how do you feel about your chances in the case? Um, actually not too great. I think my dad's going to take it. Really? Why is that? Just because I don't think I have as much of an argument as he does. Do you think that might be your lack of self-confidence talking? Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) what you lack in self-confidence, you make up for in self-awareness. So kudos to you for that, Sophie. We'll find out what Judge John Hodgman has to say when we come back in just a second. It's the Judge John Hodgman special this week on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, guys, this is Kimberly Clark. And you need to just calm your little self down and get under the goose down with me and Jasper Red. You can catch us on MaximumFun.org or you can hear us on iTunes. And no farting under the covers either. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm serving as bailiff today in fake Internet court as we feature cases from the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We've heard from Chris, who wants his teenage daughter Sophie to be more outgoing, and Sophie, who thinks her dad should be less pushy. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom to deliver his verdict. Sophie, I am not going to lie to you. There is absolutely a way that you might approach uh, a Eugene Merman or another person that you're fond of uh, in the world and absolutely humiliate yourself. It is possible. Maybe you uh, decide now is a great time to tell them about your 9-11 conspiracy theories or you don't respect the fact that they need to be on their way after a period of time. Maybe you uh, want to uh, make them feel uncomfortable by shoving a child at them physically. These are all ways that your encounter can go awry. But Sophie, I don't think that that's going to happen with you because through various role-playing and other desensitizing exercises that we've gone through here together. It has been revealed, not through argument, but by example, uh, that you are a nice person and a normal person who is reasonably shy around some of the, frankly, the greatest comedians and voice actors of our day. But also, uh, you have fairly good judgment. And I will say this. While every person in the world has their own Uh, And this goes for not merely famous minor television personalities like myself or public broadcasting legends like Jesse Thorne or Eugene Merman, uh, who is uh, sui generis, Eugene Merman. But for everyone in the world, even if they are not involved in the arts in any way, everyone has their own set of circumstances in which they feel uncomfortable in a conversation that you will learn over time to avoid. But almost everyone in the world appreciates a polite hello, uh, I think you're great. I love your work, or I like your coat, or you're terrific. Goodbye forever, or until next time. And if you keep your interactions that succinct, over time, you'll learn how to expand those interactions and become less shy. Now, Chris. Yes. Don't shove your daughter at people. I won't. I think you know that Sophie is pretty awesome. I do. And I can appreciate, as a father myself, how incredibly frustrating even the awesomest human children can be. 
But I think you heard from both Sophie and Eugene Merman that you were the bad actor in this situation in that it made everyone uncomfortable. Your enthusiasm is understandable and your desire to help your daughter is commendable. But you know as well as I do, you can only push them so far. And if it involves actual pushing, you may have gone too far. (laughs) Your request that I should empower you to compel Sophie to not merely read poetry in a coffee house. Honestly, if you came to this court thinking that I was going to do that, you are so wrong. I would never in a million years compel anyone to go near a coffee house. It's bad (laughs) enough they're considering reading poetry aloud, but that's just me. But if you were to think that I could empower you at this point to compel your daughter to do anything, it was also wrongheaded, I'm afraid. Because it is one of the founding principles of this fake internet courtroom is people like what they like. They're going to do what they're going to do. The only person you can control in life is yourself. And you are struggling, sir, with the transition from Sophie being a child to Sophie being a young adult. Children can be compelled to do things. But Sophie has matured beyond that at this point and is not only free to find her own way to deal with the world, but has to find her own way. Therefore, I find in favor of Sophie. I'm frankly amazed you ever thought that I might find in your favor, Chris. (laughs) I was hoping. I compel you, as compensation for emotional damages suffered upon your daughter, to read poetry in your coffee house. (laughs) I I look forward to hearing a report, Sophie, from how your father bears under the strain of that humiliation. Until then, this is the sound of a gavel. Judge John Hodgman rules, that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Sophie, how are you feeling here in your moment of triumph? I'm just really excited to hear my father read poetry. Do you think he's going to write original poetry for the purpose, or do you think it's just going to be some William Carlos Williams or something? (laughs) I'm sure he'll find something online. Maybe some 1D fan poetry? (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any other plans for uh, breaking out of your shell on your own time? Not currently, no. What if you run into Zach Galifianakis at the Stop and Shop? (laughs) I would go up to him, I think. Yeah. I think he'd be grateful. Zach Galifianakis is a nice guy. Well, Chris, Sophie, thank you so much for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Thank you. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. So normally right now I'd be doing interviews and giving recommendations for culture stuff, but not this week. This week, it's disputes from the fake internet court of the Judge John Hodgman podcast, where I am the bailiff. So next, we'll hear a case called My Legal Pony. Nancy brings the case against her good friend, Becky. They both live in rural Pennsylvania. Nancy keeps a herd of Shetland ponies as pets and thinks they're perfect just the way they are. Becky calls the ponies ill-mannered, and that's a quote. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one man can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom. Bailiff Jesse, swear them in. Please raise your right hands. 
Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, or whatever? We do. Whatever. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that he doesn't ride ponies and, in fact, rides only enormous double-sized horses? We do. We do. Very well, Judge Hodgman. Nancy, you have a herd of Shetland pony... Ponies? I guess a herd of Shetland pony would not work. You need more than one. Uh, and your you longtime best friend Becky calls them ill-mannered. Explain to me what your prob is. My problem is that she called my Shetland ponies ill-mannered, and I think they're very well-mannered, or at least appropriately mannered, for what they need to do. What do they need to do? Are you raising them to go down into coal mines like pit ponies? No, they don't need to do anything. <laughs> That's what Shetland so... ponies were bred for, you know. <laughs> yes. And let me ask you this. Are they cute or what? They are cute or what? Well, how many, of them, you, how many of them you have? Well, right now I have 11. But I'm down. <laughs> Holy I had moly! <laughs> All in one house? <laughs> yes. Wait a I minute. had 14 last year, so I'm down a couple. They don't live in your house with you, do they? No, but they graze on my lawn. All right, 11. And do they all have names? Yes. Let's go. Ian, Charles, Fredo, Godiva, Dewdrop, Maddie, Sprite, Connie, Berger, Niles, Frazier, um, Russell, Russell Stover. Russell Stover, like the candy company? Yes. Have you been hired by Russell Stover to buzz market candies on oh, my podcast? shoot. I can't believe I did that. You already, no. snu- you already snuck in the... Buzz marketing for Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, and, and one for The Godfather, too. <laughs> yes. I go in themes when I name them. So themes have been candies, sitcoms, crime dramas. What are the other themes? Uh, what else? I can't remember. what. Oh, Boston. Oh, here I go. Boston Legal. I had Shirley Schmidt and Alan Short. Boston Legal. Did you? Boston Legal. Now, I've not seen that show, but I, I, I understand it was a lot of fun. It's not that there's anything wrong with Boston Legal. It's just so specific. I mean, it's Frasier is uh, one of the great sitcoms of its time, I think, arguably. Boston Legal is a show that a lot of people enjoyed, but it's kind of a while ago and really specific and also not, you know, it's not A-level. It's like one down. Well, how long ago were your Boston Legal ponies named? Like how it long? was uh, after your Chicago Hope ponies passed on. <laughs> uh, three or four years ago. I'm yeah. behind. I don't, you know, I watch DVDs like later. I don't oh, okay. have television. I thought, so. I thought you meant like, you know, you're watching Boston Legal <laughs> whenever it was on seven or eight years ago. And you're like, I, I got to remember these names for some ponies I'm going to get in the future. And here's the so, thing, Jesse, you could have had some Boston Legal heyday ponies. Do you know what I mean? Because they live 30 years, don't they? 30 or 40. 30 or 40 years. You I have ponies one, live. yeah. What's yeah. the oldest one you have? Late 30s. What is his name? Ted Knight Ian from the Char- Ted Knight Show? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Charles. He's my stallion. What is Ian Charles uh, a reference to? I'm missing well, something? He was, he, no, he was named before I got him, and he's named after the son of someone that the person I got him from knows. Someone had a son and a pony and named them the same thing? No, some... <laughs> the person This is my gave... son, Ian Charles, and this is our Shetland pony, also Ian Charles. <laughs> the person who gave me the pony uh-huh. had named him after the son of someone else she knows. Not less weird. 
how's your son, Ann Charles? I hear he went to college. Everything going well? Did I tell you I named my pony after your son? That's weird. I'm glad you rescued that pony from that weird home and brought him into your own weird home. Which is your favorite one? Ian Charles. Ooh, that was a quick answer. Which, well, he's the best. Which is the which? Which <laughs> pony is the worst? Ponies. The worst? Yeah. Which is your worst pony? This is a trick because this is playing into this ill-mannered thing. It's not a trick. This is a there's got to be law, a worst ma'am. pony, and despite what you may believe, these ponies don't understand English. So you could play this <laughs> podcast for them, and their feelings won't be hurt. <laughs> You are currently the- <laughs> under fake internet oath, and I'm asking you, which pony is your worst pony? I would say Burger, yeah, because he's the youngest. And Do so, you agree? <laughs> what is the difference between the best pony and the worst pony without talking about age? I appreciate that Burger may mature or season into a good pony, but what makes him worst pony of the herd? See, this is going to be self-incrimination, because... It's because he misbehaves. And yeah, but your complaint, and I haven't even gotten to Becky yet, you are defending your case by saying, Ian Charles is a good pony, Burger is the worst of herd, here's why. What does he do? He's difficult to catch, he's difficult to get to lead, he's difficult to uh, just handle, but he's getting better. So the more time I spend with him, the better he'll be. And then he might not be the worst pony. Does he bite? Um, not really. So he has bitten. Not really. He might have probably nipped. He might have probably nipped? Who? Yeah. You? Me. Yeah. yeah. You may not recall. <laughs> Did he nip your amygdala? <laughs> and therefore you're not sure? No, he probably just <laughs> nipped at my coat or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at some point. I'm sure he has at some he, point. They does, all do when they're little. Does he gossip about other ponies behind their backs? He bothers the other ponies because he's playful. Oh, okay. All right, Becky? Yes? You come around to help Nancy with her herd of ponies, and you believe that Shetland ponies are ill-mannered? Is this accusation true? I don't believe all Shetland ponies are ill-mannered. Just Nancy's? Yes. Would you say that all 11 of Nancy's current horde of ponies are ill-mannered? No. How many of them are ill-mannered? Ten. (laughs) With the exception being Ian Charles, the best pony? Of course, yes, of course, yeah. Ten ponies are ill-mannered, and how would you characterize an ill-mannered pony? Does it... Not write thank you notes? Any horse to me is ill-mannered if they don't respect your personal space. Okay. And what's the problem? Are these ponies coming over to your house and, and, <laughs> and hanging around your office when you're trying to do work? They would if they could drive, I guarantee it. Are they like, hey, what are you doing? What are you working on? Yeah. Tell me how they don't respect your personal space. And if Nancy's out there with them... Right, And she has even said this to me on occasion, that sometimes when she's working around the whole crew, she's a bit uneasy because they surround her and sort of push her around and, and basically are in her space. Which doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's like 10, 300-pound misbehaving children pushing you around. But 
when you get 11 Shetland ponies together, what do you expect is going to happen? I expect them to back off and not crowd me. Becky, do you have any experience raising Shetland ponies? I have never raised Shetland ponies. I have owned Shetland ponies, but I have not reproduced them. How large did your horde of Shetland ponies get? (laughs) One. (laughs) Okay. Do you hoard any other animals? Cockatiels? Snakes? I have 16 fainting goats. No, Is that considered hoarding? Don't tell me you have 16 fainting goats. I do. Number one, that's not a real animal. No, it's real. (laughs) Of course it's real. Are you calling uh, Becky a liar, Jesse? Fainting goats? Yeah. Do you know what a fainting... fainting, It's a stiff-legged... What is it called, Becky? You can call it a stiff-legged or a myotonic goat. Um, When they get excited or frightened, they stiffen up and fall over. They don't really faint. Haven't you used the internet in the past several years, Jesse? Truly, we live in a world of marvels. <laughs> I'm Jesse Thorne. So normally you'd be listening to my show Bullseye right now, but this is a special episode dedicated to Judge John Hodgman. On Judge John Hodgman, I serve as bailiff under the honorable fake internet judge John Hodgman. This case is called My Legal Pony. Two real friends, Nancy and Becky, disagree on what constitutes rudeness in a Shetland pony. So, which is better, Becky? Goats or ponies? Oh, that's hard. I'm, you know, I'm still a horse person. I still have to say ponies. So you have never raised ponies. You once had one until you realized they're all jerks. Well, no. I currently have. So you fed it to um, the goats. (laughs) I currently own Shirley Schmidt, who used to be of the Nancy herd, who is now a companion to my horse. Oh, okay. And when you so, adopted Shirley Schmidt from the Nancy herd, was she ill-mannered? Yes. I'm not blaming Nancy, but I just want her to be more firm with them. Because I don't care how her ponies behave, but I do care about her safety. You oh, feel come that, on. Excuse me, Nancy. Becky, you feel... Describe the behavior of these monsters that make you fear for your friend's safety. Well, first off, she's often out there with the ponies by herself. And you think, oh, little ponies, what can little ponies do? But if you have a bunch of them pushing you around, if she gets knocked down or hurt, there's nobody here that's going to realize that. So So you think it's going to be one of those situations where just the neighbor down the hall notices a smell and they come and open up her apartment and just overrun with ponies. There's just a skeleton. <laughs> or Nancy will be dragging herself across the field trying to get help. Do you, do you and hopefully her rooster wouldn't get to her first because that would be really ugly. How, how realistic do you feel it is, Nancy, that a pony might knock you down, causing you to hurt yourself such that you would become immobile? Well, I think it's possible, but I think it would be an accident. No, I'm not suggesting that... The ponies have malice in their hearts towards you. I don't even think Becky is suggesting that. I'm suggesting it is the premise for a new television show, which is called All Creatures Great and Small Special Victims Unit. (laughs) (laughs) Nancy, have you ever been in a situation where you felt menaced by all of these small ponies? Well, a couple times over the years, but... Describe the horror. I don't, it wasn't a horror. Well, I remember one time specifically, they crowded around 
I was trying to get like through a gate and they were all crowded around and I think I might have gone to my knees briefly because of the crowding and then there was a car driving by and I was kind of embarrassed because I didn't want someone to see and think that things were out of control. I just think that Becky is painting a very wrong portrait of my ponies and I think it's because Shirley is a little bit difficult. Becky, is this and true? I, Are you upset because you think that Nancy passed a bum pony off on you? No, I definitely picked Shirley out because I needed a pony that could stand up to my horse and, and tolerate his behavior. So, oh, so you got a jerk horse, too. What's the name of your horse? Sydney. Sid. S- Sydney from the TV show Love, Sydney, starring Tony Randall? No. Oh, well, that's what it should I, be. I don't, I don't name my animals after TV personalities. T- Tony Randall <laughs> would be a great name for a horse. Was my horse Tony Randall? <laughs> Just think about it. Or or a pony. If I had a bunch of horses, all of them would be named after the Kentucky Derby horses from that one Mr. Show sketch. You know, like Batman the horse. <laughs> I don't doubt it at all. Mr. Nor Fast do I, Horse. Nor is it impossible for me to picture you, Jesse Thorne, with three or four Shetland ponies on your property. Well, I would have Someday. miniature donkeys. Donks. <laughs> All right. Becky, do you think Nancy uh, has an animal hoarding problem? No. Okay. Your main concern is that she's being menaced by the ponies and they're plotting against her? Um, My main concern is that she doesn't set good boundaries with the ponies. And like she was just saying about Shirley Smith was no problem here in her herd because her standards are different than mine. So she's okay if ponies bump into her and push her around and things like that. And I'm not. Why do you care, Nancy, what Becky thinks of your ponies? Why would you bring this to my court? Well, I take it very personally because these Mm -hmm. ponies are kind of my identity. So I take it personally both on their behalf and also on my behalf as their owner. And she's saying this around town and ruining your reputation in the Shetland pony community? Well, I worry that that might be happening, although... I'm not really part of a community. No, as I would imagine someone with 11 Shetland ponies probably does feel that way. (laughs) It takes an enormous amount of self-awareness for a woman who owns 11 Shetland ponies that she considers to be extensions of herself to acknowledge that she's not really part of a community. I think we made a major step right then. I think think we should change it from Judge John Hodgman to Dr. John Hodgman. (laughs) What would you advise me to do, Becky, if I were to find in your favor with regard to Nancy's ponies? All I would ask is that you allow me to keep telling her that they're ill-mannered. Because ever since I said that, she's on such a quest to prove me wrong that she keeps telling me how much she's been working with the ponies. So by me saying the ponies are ill-mannered, it it motivates her to uh, make them more well-mannered. So I don't need you to do anything other than let me keep saying it. Do you guys have a family members living at home with you, or is it just you and your goats and ponies? Sadly, it's just <laughs> me and my goats and her and her ponies. Then it's important that you guys stay friends. I think I've heard everything <laughs> that I need to in order to make my decision. I'm going to ride my pony down into the coal pit that is my chambers, and I'll make my decision in a moment. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. After a break, a verdict from Judge John Hodgman. 
It's the Judge John Hodgman special this week on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, my name's Dave. And my name's Graham. Now, what do we have to do to put you in a brand new podcast today? Yeah, what do you want me to drink bleach? I'll do it. Yeah, Dave will drink bleach. If that's what it takes to get you to listen to Stop Podcasting Yourself on MaximumFun.org. Don't make Dave drink bleach. Just listen to the show. (sighs) He will, but don't make him. Stop podcasting yourself. It's Bullseye, and I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm serving as bailiff today in fake internet court as we feature cases from the Judge John Hodgman podcast. You've just been hearing the arguments for My Legal Pony. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom to render his verdict. Nancy, every child has a parent, and every parent believes their child is wonderful, smart, and beautiful. And we know, though, from history, that those parents are not always right. Sometimes children are not as smart or not as beautiful or not as good as their parents naturally believe them to be. There is a perception bias. The one who owns the Shetland ponies sees only good ponies. She sees them as an expression of herself. This is a well-known saying. Sometimes we need friends, especially if we are all alone in the world with our ponies and our goats, to tell us the hard truths that we may not be able to perceive ourselves. And when someone says to you, your ponies are ill-mannered, as happens on the subway in New York City all the time, they may be crazy, they may be jealous, they may be mean, But every now and again, they may be right about one of your ponies. And when you have 11 of them, it's even more statistically likely they're right about at least one. So when someone gives you a note, whether it is in pony raising or story writing or child rearing that you don't like, you do not need to shut them up. All you need to do is say, huh, maybe there's something I need to look at here. And you look a little more closely, and then you use your best judgment to determine whether or not your friend is your friend or just a jealous goat owner who doesn't have the stuff that it takes to keep 11 ponies. Whatever the case, it is okay for your friend to make a comment about your ponies. Becky, your job is done. I'm convinced that Nancy has heard what you had to say, the mean comment about her ponies, It has had the effect that you wanted. It has given her a moment of reflection. She has revealed that she is aware of an outside world in which people don't own 11 ponies. And she is doing the hard work it takes to make sure that her ponies are being raised correctly. To continue, as you have suggested, to tell her over and over again that her ponies are ill-mannered in person, and I presume you would also like to write little notes to her to slip under her door every day, Ponies are ill-mannered. Call her up in the middle of the night. Your ponies are ill-mannered. And otherwise, torture her with your perception goes beyond neighborliness and friendliness. You've made your point. I've helped you make it. Let the matter now rest. Let it rest like a fainting goat. I find in Nancy's favor, and so... This is the sound of a gavel. 
Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Nancy, do you feel vindicated? Uh, yes, I do. I think they're very good ponies, but I will try to pay better attention to how they might be perceived. You guys are the best. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Good luck, you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Judge. I'm Jesse Thorne. This is Bullseye. You've been listening to some of our very favorite episodes of the Judge John Hodgman podcast from the Maximum Fun Network. I serve as bailiff on the show. We get a lot of letters to the court, and we just don't have enough time for everyone to call in and argue their case. So we'll often read listener letters, and Judge Hodgman will render a snap judgment on the issue. Let's head into the judge's chambers now to clear the docket. Here's a question from Nick. He writes, Dear Judge, what is a salad? My girlfriend and I are in a detente over this idea. Well, at least they've reached detente. Yeah. Not an active <laughs> conflict. It's not a, it's not, it's not a shooting war. <laughs> it's simmering on the back burner. I recently learned that according to the Oxford Encyclopedia of Underwater Life, that most legendary and definitive of tomes, there's no such thing as a fish. No matter what characteristics of fish you define, the exceptions you need to include common fish like seahorses, rays, and lungfish make for a pretty weak net. Was that an aquatic-themed joke? Yeah. I get it. Fisherman jokes. Moving on. I think the same is true of salads, but my girlfriend disagrees. Salads can have veggies, fruit, meat, grains, dairy, any kind of food. Can we stop saying veggies? That really feels like a fifth grade 1979 effort to get people to eat these weird things and make them more appealing. But we know what they are, right? Vegetables. I don't like cutesy names. Stop it. Okay, moving on. They can be creamy or crisp, hot or cold. Gross. My girlfriend argues that all salads are broken down into bite-sized pieces, but I say jello salads, big pieces of decorative lettuce, and chunky ingredients like tomato wheels and chicken strips disprove that. She also argues that I'm a pedantic jerk. So, Judge, it's weird that the boyfriend who writes into us with a case about his girlfriend would be considered to be a pedantic jerk by anyone. So, Mm. Judge, as the arbiter of sandwichness, is there such a thing as a salad? I love how uncensored we get when we're in chambers and these people aren't here to defend themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to say jerk. Next question. (laughs) No, I'm not just going to say jerk. I'm going to say a bunch of other words, too, that amount to the same thing. I don't believe in the Oxford Encyclopedia of Underwater Life. I mean, I'm sure it exists. Like a fish does. I believe in Merriam-Webster, which, uh, surprisingly, believes that there is such a thing as fish. They define fish as an aquatic animal. Boom. No problem. Covers a lot of stuff. Maybe too broad. Well, technically... The first definition is, quote, a cold-blooded animal that lives in water, breathes with gills, and usually has fins and scales, unquote. And now you, Nick, jump in with all the exceptions to the rule, lungfish and walking fish and that fish that looks just like a man who works next to you or whatever it is. But the second definition is an aquatic animal. And it goes on to say, usually in combination like starfish or cuttlefish, that's how they get the exceptions. But just because language is imprecise doesn't mean that a thing doesn't exist. I don't think the Oxford Encyclopedia of Underwater Life truly says there's no such thing as fish because the Oxford Encyclopedia of Underwater Life is not out there trying to blow people's minds with its late night thoughts at the bar. 
It's trying to explain stuff. These are big, gross, necessarily imprecise definitions. These genres of all kinds get blurry at the edges. That's what makes the hot dog question so compelling. So what Nick is referring to here is a, a short thing I did in the late and perhaps lamented Judge John Hodgman column Nutta that used to be in the New York Times Magazine, in which some guys were fighting over whether a hot dog was a sandwich. And I said, no, I know in my soul on a gut level that a hot dog is not a sandwich. And then the question became, how do I prove logically that it isn't? And ultimately, you're asked to prove a negative. It's very difficult. Why isn't a hot dog a sandwich? Because you would never cut it in half. All sandwiches, you can cut them in half and share them, save half for later. If you cut a hot dog in half, it's because some child is yelling at you or you're under some other weird duress. But no natural human would cut a hot dog in half and enjoy it that way. It is a unity unto itself. A lot of people had problems with this, especially people who listen to public radio. I got to hear from all of them. Guy who runs a podcast called The Sporkful called me out by name on the internet and then on his podcast. Finally, I had to call into Leonard Lopate and defend myself. And you can go <laughs> listen to it. Because he was on the Leonard Lopate show talking about how wrong I was. That Dan Pashman, he's a loose cannon. Dan, that's right. Dan Pashman. Good guy. Interesting podcast. Uh, a uh, tautological thinker. Because he tried to use the same definition all the people who wrote in to me used. It was like, it's obviously a sandwich because it consists of a thing sandwiched between two pieces of bread. Yeah, we get the word from the thing. Circular thinkers. Ugh. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So salad, right. Yeah, there are a lot of different things that are salads, right? A lot of different things that are salads. Uh, it is not anything that is broken down into a bite-sized piece because then if you cut up a steak for your child so he doesn't choke, that doesn't make it a steak salad. A steak salad is what? You know it in your heart. You know what it is. It's pieces of steak that are cold that are put on top of pieces of lettuce and then dressed lightly. Salad can be raw fruits, raw vegetables, right? You can also uh, have a salad that uh, is uh, tuna fish with mayonnaise or chicken with mayonnaise and egg with mayonnaise. And if you live in my house, mayonnaise with mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, mayonnaise salad sandwich. Mayonnaise sure. salad sandwich, yeah. What is the thing that's in common of all these things? What is the thing that defines a salad the same way not cutting in halfness defines a sandwich? Salad's cold, everybody. Cold. Served cold. Cold, cold, cold. Like revenge. But unlike revenge, not merely served cold, exclusively served cold. Somewhere in here, this guy Nick is saying you can have a hot salad. No such thing as a hot salad. If you take tuna salad and you put it into a sandwich and toast it with cheese, that's a tuna melt sandwich. You can cut it in half. But you would never call that a salad, would you? That's not what a salad is. It is a cold accompaniment and occasionally a main course meal, usually composed of Pieces of raw vegetables and maybe fruits. Mayonnaise is optional. Crumbled blue cheese, if you're smart. Move on. Here's a bit of pedantry from a real neurologist at Harvard. Andy writes, In episode 166, My Legal Pony, you asked one of the litigants if her pony had, quote, nipped her amygdala, unquote. You implied that this would cause her to have memory problems, rendering her unable to recall the bad behavior of Burger, the worst pony. I'd like to point out that you likely meant to say hippocampus rather than amygdala. The hippocampus is the seahorse-shaped region of the brain that forms memory. 
The amygdala, on the other hand, is the almond-shaped nucleus involved in the fear response, which would probably be activated when one is surrounded by 11 ill-behaved Shetland ponies. Saying ill-behaved was redundant. Interestingly, activation of the amygdala does positively impact memory formation, which is why we tend to remember very scary experiences. So you weren't too far off. Yours truly, Andy Martin, Harvard Neurology Program at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Yes, you're absolutely right, Andy. I apologize. I made a mistake. Um, When I said amygdala, that was my fancy pants stand-in for any part of the brain. Because I don't know my brain uh, anatomy, surely not as well as you do, Andy. And so I just took a stab at the one part of the brain I could remember. And my, uh, my hippocampus pointed me only to amygdala. But now I know that the hippocampus is the seahorse-shaped region of the brain that forms memory. And I, am, I will never forget that. And I will also say that even the hippocampus... That seahorse-shaped region of the brain is a fish, if you define fish broadly enough. That's all for this week's Judge John Hodgman special on Bullseye. We'll be back with the regular show next week. If you liked what you heard this week, you can find over 180 past episodes of Judge John Hodgman at MaximumFun.org, in iTunes, or wherever you download podcasts. Or, if you've got a case to submit for consideration by the judge, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. To do that, that's MaximumFun.org slash JJ Ho. No real dispute is too big or too small. I've been your bailiff, Jesse Thorne. We'll resume our regular interviews and recommendations on Bullseye next week. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is produced by Julia Smith and edited by Mark McConville. Julia is also our producer on Bullseye. Bullseye's senior producer is Nick White. This week's episode was edited by MaximumFun.org senior producer Colin Anderson. Our intern is Julian Burrell. All our interstitial music provided by Dan Wallet. If you'd like to hear any of our past programs, they're all free. Just go to MaximumFun.org. You can find Bullseye and Judge John Hodgman there. And if you want to hear about cool culture stuff between now and the next time Bullseye airs, you can always find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bullseye with Jesse Thorne and click like. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Oh, also, I've always wanted to say this. This is the sound of a gavel. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.